joined uh, today very pleasantly by an absolute surprise to me because Anna we don't know each other do we no we do not no okay so we we were we came into contact um, purely randomly through a, a whatsapp group which is essentially about political analysis um, and you are actually a, a, a sort of a meritable uh, member of this group i'm simply um yeah a, a completely unknown inductee um but do, do you want to talk a little bit about the the group that we met in um yes of course um so all of this happened sort of randomly for me too um about two years ago i i, I just finished my bachelor's degree in international relations and um dr dajvidi was my teacher in my second year um and you know, we sort of got got to speaking and uh, found out that we have a lot of similar interests. And it was very interesting, the political conversation, the personal ones, too. And uh, yeah, he invited me to be part of this amazing research forum where, you know, it's absolutely filled with uh, his former students and friends and colleagues all across the world, um, all sort of politically interested and you know most of them also with credible credentials um to go with it so yeah i think that's sort of the group it's filled with uh, phds and uh, you know other intellectual merits um so yeah i think that's that's how we met <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely crazy so it, it is as you say full of uh, you know very sort of internationally based in uh, elements uh, people from you know yeah, the middle east but also um you know as far flung as the usa uh, are there any there, there is somebody, isn't there, from Japan, unless I'm mistaken? Yes, I think there's people from Japan. There's people who um, they're basically from all over the world, you know, wherever they happen to be living, um, you know, people mm. that um, are experts in uh, Cuban studies, Cuban-American studies. We had a lecture on it, um, I think, a year ago. We have people who come from completely different backgrounds, who have run massive businesses and sort of come from this other side rather than, pure politics who have you know now at age I don't know 65 decided to do a master's in politics or philosophy mm. you know it's quite a very interesting group of people absolutely yeah brilliant and you know there, there you are as well um a yeah, a keen political observer um but you know there's obviously always more isn't there to to individual stories and when we sort of made contact which um essentially via um linkedin um you then put up one of your most recent um blog posts so i had the opportunity of going in there and having a bit of a read and all of a sudden the world that is and the journey that was uh, or has been anna's journey um you know, began to sort of blossom in my mind um and when i look at um i had another look this earlier today um at one of the blogs that you had written and you, you this wonderful line which i'll probably put up as perhaps the title of this one is that you love telling stories yes yeah would you like to, to <laughs> well tell us a story or just tell us <laughs> you know, where this comes from and so on um, yeah, so it's this whole experience of me starting to write has been very uh, unexpected for me too. Um, I finished my dissertation. Um, I'm a big procrastinator, so I sort of wrote it in about a week. Also on, under the you know help of uh, Dr. Tajvidi. Um, he's a big sort of person in my life, uh, academically and personally. Um, and as soon as I submitted it, I sort of felt this creative rush and um, I was like, you know what, I, I should write a blog. And I typed in, you know, blog, whatever, and it comes up, they already have a blog page. Um, and it turns out, you know, six months earlier when I was feeling down, I had created this blog that I intended to write, um, use it as a diary and not really publish. Um, and that first post never got really um published and uh, I opened it up read through it thought well this is you know very depressing and sad so I started changing it line by line and uh, I ended up writing the first ever post which is a reflection on a cycle um, and yeah within an hour I, I published it and that was it sort of you know I realized um, 
through my dissertation, which I wrote on my sort of personal cultural history and family history about Latvia, Russia, Germany, um, I just realized that I had written my own story in a dissertation form and now it was time to tell the rest of it, sort of. Um, and yeah, so I, I tell stories, I always have. And now I'm hoping to do it, you know, more professionally. <laughs> <laughs> no, I tell you, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because you have um, you have such a sincerity in in the way that you communicate. I mean, you know, I, I can't put myself down as any kind of you know, opinion giver, as in not at least not an opinion that people should necessarily follow. But with you, I think it's very, very clear. Your your sincerity comes through straight away. Um, and along with that is a certain degree of depth. Um, but I have a feeling you don't have to work at that because you're just really open, aren't you? Yeah, I, I that's sort of, uh, you know, the blessing and also the curse is um, an incredibly open about anything. Um, I've always sort of tried to be this way, but especially the last two, three years, I'd say. I just realized that, you know, life is too short to not be honest, especially to yourself. Um, and I think I've, I've talked a lot with my friends recently about art and we've listened to a lot of music and sort of so many creative things that people have, you know, produced. And we realize that what makes them great is that people do not shy away to tell their story, to be honest, to, you know, even if it shocks you, if it hurts you hearing it, that's all right. This is exactly what sort of is supposed to happen if you talk about pain or suffering. Um, so, yeah, it's. Um, to me, I, I can't I can't imagine living any other way, I think. So <laughs> sort of a, it's, I've always been very open, very emotional person. So yeah, I've I, I take everything in very intensely. Mm, okay, yeah, I mean that does come through. Um and, but I'm I'm also hoping to uh to tap in to that uh you know, raw emotion, but I, I don't think I'd have to work too hard for it, which is brilliant. Um <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, can you also uh, tell me a bit about your, your sort of story? So you suggested, OK, Latvian, Russian, German. Now, obviously, you're in the UK as well. Um, there, that, That's a lot of sort of cultural diversity right there, isn't it? Yes. Um, you know, I have loads of lo loads of friends who, who, who are much more um, culturally diverse than I am because I just cover a bit of Europe. Um, but... I have to say it's it's been quite interesting to discover it um, bit by bit myself as well. Um, I can, you know, sort of shortly tell my story. Um, I was born in Latvia. I grew up in this tiny, tiny town of, I think, 7,000 people living there, not far from the Russian border. Um, you know, I grew up quite a happy child. Everything was sort of all right. Um, and then you know, life happened and uh, ec ec economy completely collapsed. And uh, my mother and my father, they decided to move to Germany because my mom's father is German and they had been living in Hanover for the last 25, 30 years. Um, and so, you know, we moved to Germany. Didn't Neither of us spoke a word of German. We had no idea what we were really doing, uh, but we sort of hoped, uh, you know, we have some family there. It's going to work out either way. Um, and you know what it did um, it was incredibly hard we you know there's so many stories of uh, for all of us that were painful and I think that's that that part that part of my life is why I'm why I'm so empathetic as well especially to people that are immigrants or people coming from different life stories because they understand how tough it can be and I was you know I'm white I have blonde hair blue eyes I don't necessarily stand out in a crowd of German people, but, you know, without having any any language or, you know, having an accent or, you know, not knowing certain things, it is, it is you know, at age of 12 when I moved to Germany, that's quite, quite a biggie. Um, and yeah, I ended up finishing um, high school quite well. And but I knew that I wouldn't stay in Germany because it just wasn't my place. Um, I didn't feel at home. And, um, you know, I was dating someone who was studying in London and I looked at universities in London, found international relations and uh, left. <laughs> and I've been here since. This is my third summer in London and it probably was one of my best decisions in life. 
Yeah. Okay. I mean, again, you did say the word brief before, so you kind of jumped through lots and lots there. Yeah. But um, if you, this this idea of you know, it wasn't my, I didn't fit in. It wasn't my place. It wasn't for me. Um, and I, I get this a lot from you know different impressions which I receive through reading uh, other people's sort of stories, biographies, or uh, articles. Um, can you uh, articulate the sense a little bit more? What it, not necessarily as a critique of Hanover or German society, but the, the, what is it which made you perhaps feel uh, somewhat out of place here or in, in Germany? And you know, can you in any way sort of put a finger on it? And then maybe other people would say, oh, actually, do you know, what? I feel that way as well. You know, maybe I should move <laughs> if, as, as in, from a positive perspective, if, yeah. if that's possible. I think um, for me, in the first place, I never wanted to go. That was, you know, it wasn't really up to me. I understood that it was something that uh, would benefit me in the future. But when you're 12, you know, if you don't really want to go, but you don't really have a choice, then, you know, you just suck it up and go. Um, but in general, I think my personality is just um, different to the German sort of culture in a way. I can't really... It's a very, very weird one. Um, I, I, for example, I, I see London to be so much more sort of open and easygoing and sort of, you know, less rules, less sort of protocol to follow. You can sort of, you know, if you find a creative way to solve your problem, that's all right. Whereas in Germany, you know, you have to follow certain procedures and protocols and, you know, you have have these certain things set up. And if you don't necessarily have, you know, as a kid, if you don't have the long champ, um, bag or if you don't have the Hollister top you're you're standing out although these are these small things and I, I assume you know these are it, it applies all all over the world of not fitting in as a teenager but for me the things that they wanted um, just didn't align with my view I think and I've always been sort of a free spirit my mum always said you know I had super super long hair when I was a kid and I would never put it in a ponytail because I just loved running around with my hair blowing in the wind and you know so I think that is where it comes from essentially is that Germans are much more structured and have much more sort of control over things and want to keep things you know within set of rules where I really don't. <laughs> mm. Okay and and could you also educate me perhaps a little bit on sort of Latvian culture. So I, I love this idea of you being extremely independent, um, you know, sort of a free spirit. Um, so I have absolutely zero concept of what life is or the culture would be like in Latvia. I would not automatically assume it was perhaps quite similar to Russian. Um, but, you know, please tell me, am I completely wrong there? Um, no, it's it's funny. I know that a lot, if any Latvians listen to this, I might get some hate for it. But I, I will have to say we are not that different to Russian people. <laughs> and that's purely because of the history that we have together. You know, it's you can't deny what was it, 60 years of uh, communism where we all sort of lived under the same rules. Um, you know, you can't deny the effect on people and the culture and the country in general. Um, and I know that, you know, Latvia is really trying to be European or Western European at the moment, um, but they can't, they shouldn't be denying the fact that there's a lot of similarity to Russian um, culture as well. Um, but in general, I would describe Latvian people as um, very sort of nature loving and sort of, you know, when everything goes well, we truly, and you know, when you can really open up and see a Latvian open up, it's a very beautiful experience. But in general, I think some people can be a bit colder and um, people don't easily trust other people or sort of outsiders because purely of the history that we've had. We've always been occupied by some sort of country. Um, if you look at our history, is as you know, we have like, I don't know, 30 years of independence total. Um, but yeah, there's loads of nature. There's emphasis on on uh, tradition. There's, you know, we every single Latvian knows how to dance Latvian traditional dances. We all know how to sing Latvian traditional songs. Um, we are sort of the. We also refer to ourselves sometimes as the nation of singing and dancing, uh, which is quite common across the Baltic states. Um, so yeah, it's um, the reality of living there is a bit different to the spirit of the Latvian. Um, but that's not their own fault. I think that's, uh, you know, 
so many other influences and, and uh, come into it that mm. you, know, you, you can't necessarily always be true to your nature. <laughs> well, no, of course, I mean, humans, uh, as much as we, we, we tend not to, to think it's the case, we actually do adapt, um, even though we do like to, we are quite repetitive, we're naturally very conservative with a small seat. Um, but we, we also can adapt when you know the need arises. So I, I, I absolutely take what you say on board. Um, as you may have noticed also from my name, um, there, there is an Armenian uh, sort of origin to that. So I'm, I, I was never born in uh, the, the, the Armenia that exists today or that was a part of the Soviet Union. Um, but in 1990, I, I visited Yerevan and saw the, the the Red Army and you know how how life was over there. So I can appreciate that um, Latvian culture through you know, the sort of domination of Soviet politics would have naturally levitated towards a slightly more you know, Russian way of living, at least in certain uh, in certain ways. Absolutely, but I do have to say we Latvians, you know. Um, through all the oppression and you know cultural oppression a lot as well um the latvians have always found a way how to we have this like amazing singing and dancing festival every four years um and it's been going through through with all the communism years and you know it's been we have always found a way how to preserve our culture how to you know continue continue teaching it to the kids even though you know sometimes it was forbidden or you know it was looked down upon if you were speaking Latvian in certain situations but people just you know there is a resilience to the Latvian person which I really admire um I just wish you know we we would all see it as as I see it and you know stop being um, so easily influenced by all everything around us and sort of be like okay what is what is what is it that makes us great and you know um, sadly the criticism culture in Latvia is very very strong as well there's this sort of saying the best breakfast for a Latvian is another Latvian um, <laughs> <laughs> which sometimes I have to say is true but I don't think that you know that's the the ultimate spirit of of, of us as a nation so mm. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, it is fascinating because we can have at least in in some ways a, a part a partly sort of cultural exchange. Because I I feel um, the you know, Armenian culture is you know also managed to maintain a certain level of independence throughout the the, the Soviet time, um, even though the Armenian language was adapted in the 1920s to become a bit more uh, to develop similarities with the Russian language, um, but. I mean, I don't know if you had that sort of, you know, cultural variation to that extent in in Latvia too. Um, Are you aware? Um, I, as far as I am aware, um, obviously Russian became one of the state languages, um, and most of the sort of, uh, you know, official documents and, and all of those issues and situations were, you know, solved and spoke and we, people spoke Russian. Um, but as as you know, I think Latvia really slipped through very well because we we were always considered sort of the one of the most um, influential countries I think in Soviet uh, in Soviet uh, Soviet times because um, we had the access to you know the Baltic Sea and we had loads of trade and you know if you wanted to have a really nice coat you might go to Latvia to get it and you know we were sort of compared to a lot of other states who we were quite fortunate um, and you know there was loads of uh, always even back in you know centuries ago the Russian Russian people would come and sort of uh, you know buy massive lands and the uh, same with aristocrats from Germany and you know Latvia has always been seen as this sort of uh, slightly above place where you know foreigners would like to come and enjoy it which obviously benefited the Latvian people a lot as well because we didn't suffer as much in certain aspects. But, you know, on the other hand, we had the deportations. Hundreds of thousands of people were deported in, you know, a few nights to Siberia. Mm -hmm. um, we also partook in the Holocaust, sadly, which is, you know, something that the Latvians usually tend to skip over in history. Um, you know, there's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things that, you know, we try to sort of collectively erase from our histor historical memory as a nation, which I think is a, it's a bit, um, you know, not that great, <laughs> mm, <laughs> but yeah. it, mildly. 
Yeah, I mean, they're part of, um, how should we say, a, a pretty elite club in, in a certain sense, because uh, you know, the, the Brits and the, the Americans, um, I think, uh, also try to do this. I uh, have done this for many, many years. Um, and other nations don't have that pr approach necessarily. Um, but, I mean, the fact that you're aware of it would suggest to me that not all is, is lost, obviously. It still gets through. People are still aware. Um, that's, I yeah. think that's mostly to attribute to the fact that I went to Germany um, and I went I had history lessons in Germany for eight years mm. which is, you know at least one semester you spend talking about the Second World War the Holocaust uh, the importance of all of these things and sort of how to spot propaganda and you know you, you in Germany there's a big emphasis on what went wrong and how that it, it's always sort of emphasize that it's our responsibility to make sure that this never happens again as you know although we are not responsible for the holocaust or for the actions that have that were you know done to certain people or minorities and you know in fact it, the effect that it had on so many people's lives is not our fault but is our responsibility to make sure we do not repeat this again and i think that's a really beautiful approach to it um Especially as, you know, this is exactly why my life is so interesting to me, at least, is in Latvia, you kind of uh, completely ignore the Holocaust bit. In Germany, you fully embrace it. And then you have Britain who, in their educational system, don't discuss imperialism, British imperialism. Um, they sort of skip over it and maybe mention a few good parts. And, you know, these are the differences where I go, OK, well, in, in this fight, Germany is winning. <laughs> mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what is also very you know, interesting for me is how when we're talking about Latvia, you use the, the, the pronoun we um, and also when talking about the, the German approach to uh, the Holocaust uh, and, uh, you know, responsibility, you also said we. Um, and uh, yeah, I think also well, maybe even with uh, British uh, representation. So, I mean, you, you actually really feel Latvian, German and British, I guess. Yeah, I, I feel whatever, uh, wherever I am, that's what I feel. I think, you know, everybody, we, we all take a little part of wherever we are with us. Um, and, you know, I, I don't really like labels too much. I um, I don't like putting myself in just one category. I, I've never felt comfortable with being, you know, just this one thing or one person. As a kid, I was like, I, I don't know what I want to be, but I don't just want to be one person. I don't want to be just one career or one, you know, one title. I it, it doesn't feel right to me. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. But the world that we live in is sort of, you know, you, you can only be this or that. You can't be everything, which I don't think is true. Um, mm. So, yeah, I carry all the identities with me. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's brilliant. But but it does, you know, also uh, exhibit, you, you know, the, the level of your empathy. So, you know, you if if you can adopt certain characteristics uh, within a certain community quite quickly, you know, it shows that you, you know, you allow it to enter you, don't you? You, you become a part of it quite quickly. And I, I think that has to be connected to uh, empathy. Um, I, I believe so, yes. Um, it's also not, you know, it's not always peachy and, and easy being an empath, um, <laughs> sort of connecting to everything and everyone. I mean, I, I, I last year um, I had this beautiful balcony and it had like these beautiful rose bushes everywhere. And I connected to them so much because it was sort of locked down and, you know, I was sitting out in the sun and I had my little private space and then obviously it had to be chopped down because otherwise it would grow too much you know gardening things and I was full-on crying because my rose bushes were being cut off although I knew they will be you know growing back so <laughs> I do connect truly to quite literally everything so it's um can be good sometimes it can also be the demise of me or my day mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you touch on so many uh, important sort of historical events. So you you talked about the Holocaust there. I mean, just out of pure curiosity, because whenever I go for a walk through Berlin, uh, which is where I am, uh, we have these you know sort of square brass plaques on the floor where a family or an individual had been deported from a home. Um, and I mean, there there are some streets where I walk down. It's purely it's completely, you know, horrifying uh, 
because you know there's a home where you know, or a building or flats i should say where there are 10 plaques outside you know mm-hmm. uh, so either 10 people or 10 families were deported from that one building alone and now you know sort of with my son um we we, we kind of you know calculate from our home to his school um you know how many on a given street and you know once we reach just one side of the street i think there was like 112 on in a very short street um do these uh, plaques also exist in hanover yes um they're so i think they're referring um or they call them stolpersteine Mm. It's sort of, um, you know, stumbling stones, basically, where you, you know, you stumble over them and then you read them sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Yes, of course, we have them in Hanover as well. And um, Hanover has always been sort of a, you know, important um, part in German history. Um, Although the city itself, in my view, is not that exciting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The Queen of England, you know, she comes from a Hanover um, bloodline and from the royal houses back in the day. And, you know, all of these sort of little things always have been influential. But um, you you probably know, you know, the 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 fact why German Germans have these great autobahns is because uh, Hitler had this whole project, you know, he developed these roads so it's easier for him to invade Poland. Um, and Hanover is sort of very much the cross point for loads of these big sort of roads in Europe in general. So, you know, we do have sort of loads of people coming in and out and uh, it's always had some sort of influence. And yeah, absolutely. Um, Hanover was as, as impacted um by history as any other state or other, any other city in Germany. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's an interesting place, definitely. And I think um, I think the I don't know if this is true or just my history teacher wanted us to feel much you know, more love or appreciation for Hanover. But they said that uh, the English, I think, bombed Hanover because it was one of the prettiest cities um, and they were sort of, you know, that was revenge for bombing some other British town. Mm. So you can carry that if you, if you want to, it's some, <laughs> some honour. Uh-huh. Yeah, I am, I, I'm not aware of a city that I've visited in Germany that wasn't bombed by uh, the, the Allies, should we say. Um, yeah, as in, yeah, it's very difficult today to go to uh, anywhere in any sort of major urban environment in Germany um, and you know, and think it was completely destroyed in the Second World War. And there are so many that were absolutely destroyed. Yeah, Hanover um, is pretty, pretty hard. Like, I think it was one of the worst ones, according to Hanover residents obviously so mm. true I, I can't verify that is there also like a teufelsberg in hanover where they basically just put all of the rubble uh, built up a little mountain and just let those sort of moss and grass grow over it and it became like a mountain um you know, no, I, is... no I, I don't think there is one in hanover but i do know that um basically all of the old town was completely destroyed and one of my history teachers he actually took us on a tour um, and in the if you look at the buildings, you can see where the stones um, are different color, and you can then tell how far down the house was bombed um, and where they rebuilt it, sort of a few years after. So you can literally sort of see how bad the damage was. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm always surprised that there are still these you know, Altbau, you know, these sort of old construction buildings in Berlin because. Um, it was completely devastated, and yet, you know, some monuments survived somehow. So, yeah. yeah, interesting. Okay, all right. And so, um, so Latvia, you left at the age of twelve. You then moved to Hanover, and was, and you were there for eight years. Yes. Okay. Eight. All right. So then you moved to the UK, yeah, pretty much a young adult so at the age of twenty. Yes. Um, and yeah, your First, so in you know, I don't want to j- jump ahead of you know everything, but uh, I, mean, I think that there's so much in your blogs um, that I really believe people should you know make the effort and read it, and I will put a link to your blog as well in the, the podcast notes. But um, your first impressions of London were such that you wanted to return to Hanover. Is that correct? Um, it was it was a tough one. It wasn't necessarily I wanted to return. I was. Um, so the relationship I mentioned, I, um, I, I, I wasn't aware of how um, I wasn't in touch with my own feelings at the time. And I remember moving the first day 
arriving or evening arriving in London and realizing I didn't really want to be here with this specific person. Um, and sort of the relation, you know, it's I've never lived on my own. Um, I moved out and, you know, moved in with a boy. And, you know, it's sort of a it's a lot of intense emotions for a 20 year old uh, moving into a big city on their own. Um, and then, you know, as life would have it, a couple of months after we broke up. Um, and then that's when I sort of had my big, big first adult crisis that I had to deal with um, because, you know, he had lived here for a few years before that. So he had all the cutlery and the plates and, you know, you name it, anything you need to survive. Um, and he took it with him, of course, because it was his. Um, and I was literally left in my apartment with uh, two coffee mugs that I had bought from H&M Home. And that was it. That was I didn't have cattle. I didn't have, you know, a toaster. I didn't have anything. Um, and so in that moment, I was like, what am I doing? London is breaking me. This is horrible. You know, what have I done? Am I ever going to be able to survive this? You know, the city is so intense. And it is a I, I always say I have the biggest love hate relationship um, with London because I love it so, so, so much. But I also hate it so, so, so much sometimes. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's um, it wasn't it wasn't completely like oh you know I've made it this is my dream it was sort of like oh reality's tough. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, you know how important is a kettle to London life or British life I should say. I think you 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 you, you can't live without. Um, I make about fifteen cups of, cups of tea a day. Um, I think that's the part of British that I have taken over. Um, mm. I yeah I I cannot live without a kettle now. Yeah, people find it a bit strange uh, whenever I've you know been in a situation where you know I'm helping a friend to move. I'm like no no you don't pack the kettle. The kettle's not packed. Yeah, you take the kettle and you put it in the new kitchen. You make sure it's filled with water and it's on the boil. Yeah, exactly. Um, you don't want to go digging into the boxes because as soon as you arrive at a new property, you need to make yourself a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. You know, you can't go looking for where's the kettle. I mean, surely, right? Exactly. Yeah. I know some people decide that yeah, that's not the case. There's a certain logic, I think, to it, but uh, I don't know. I could be, I could be wrong. But um, yeah. So, uh, but another thing, and I'm I'm jumping around a little bit, but I have to go where the the sort of um, you know, emotion, as it were, or the storyline takes me, because when I think of having settling down and having a tea, I always think of a, a good conversation, and like a wonderful conversation, always needs a, a kind of beverage, um, whether that's hot or cold. Uh, is a different matter. But um, I do recall reading that you used to go, well, I think while you were still in Hanover, for long conversations, you used to walk down the road, is it with a cousin? And you used to have long conversations late into the night? Is that, uh, yeah. do I remember this correctly? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, um my cousin is is basically to me my cousin is like my sister um growing up we were in, we were quite close and then sort of you know as as we were both teenagers and we sort of grew apart but then she moved to Hanover and actually she married a guy who she met in Hanover they live in Thailand now she just had her second child um you know it's sort of a fairy tale story but um she ended up moving down the street from me um into this apartment and Every Friday I would go over um, and, you know, we would have a wine night and, you know, sometimes these wine nights would be like, OK, let's go outside and, uh, you know, have a long conversation and see where it takes us. Um, but yes, I I have always sort of found someone to have a very like long conversation at the end of the week with um, all throughout my life. Um, so, yeah, to I like talking, as as you can probably tell. <laughs> well, that's, that's great. I mean, anybody who wants to do any kind of interview or conversation and record it, um, you know, you'd be a dream person to have with them, um, not only for the, the fact that you, you know, such so many interesting stories, but the fact that you're so willingly parting with them, um, it make, makes what I do easy, at least. Okay. Um, yeah, and okay, but you know, so th this also goes back to what we were talking about before as in being a storyteller. So uh, when you sit down and have a conversation, you know, people 
not everybody is open. Not everybody's willing to share. So there are some people who love to just listen. And, you know, I, you know, I, I tell stories too, um, but I do enjoy being in the company of other storytellers because then I feel, oh, I can take the night off, you know, and I can listen to other people's tales and really enjoy that. Um, yeah, is, this is a part of you, isn't it? You know, this sort of storytelling element. It really is. Yeah. And um, if I if I'm completely honest, I, I think one of the biggest reasons why I do it is um, to encourage others. Sort of I, this is a natural thing. I, you know, people always say, oh, you're my therapist. Uh, I'm my unofficial therapist. And mm. I go, well, you know, yeah, I have therapy myself, too. Thank you. know, Thank goodness. Otherwise, it would get a bit too much. But um I've, you know, even more recently, I've, I've been very outspoken about women's issues and I've been outspoken about my sexuality and I've been outspoken about, you know, all of these things that might be taboo for certain people. Even my mother, she always sort of texts me like, why did you have to post this? Why did you have to say this? You know, does everybody have to know that, you know, you, you, you use antidepressants? And I go, well, you know, I'm telling my story however I can and whoever it reaches um, it might help them and it actually a lot of the times does so many people reach out to me and say hey you know I'm also struggling or you know we then start having a conversation about their issues by me being vulnerable by me opening up, up and saying hey this is part of the human experience this is nothing to hide this is nothing to be scared of um, you know if we all just sort of stop hating each other and stop putting projecting all of these things towards each other world would be just so much more peaceful and easier to navigate so yeah I think part of my storytelling is to encourage others to share as well and and because when you say antidepressants I, I I get this uh you know I always sort of brought back to the really typical uh, storylines that you see on you know tv series oh don't go you know, he's on antidepressants and oh I'm sorry are you okay I mean you know, as somebody who who takes uh, this kind of medication um, what would you prefer a person's response to be I know you can't dictate how other people respond but I mean if if for example you you were one day to imagine saying to a person uh, oh I'm you know I have to take uh, antidepressants um, how would your ideal response from such a person be what would you love for somebody to actually say um good for you I think okay. <laughs> that's sort of um because I personally do not believe that medication is the answer for everything I I, I have been in therapy since I was 18 um I've been working on myself quite a lot um I you know read loads of books Irvin Yalom is like the god for me that's my bible um his books uh, especially loves executioner um, I definitely suggest for anyone who's interested in psychology um, and sort of great storytelling. Um, it's a collection of 10 short stories from his own practice as a therapist. Um, I, I, you know, sometimes your brain chemistry, you can't control it and I can't control mine. And my brain chemistry doesn't let me live my life to the fullest. So I, you know, I have a very low dose of Lexapro. Um, and I take it once a day and, you know, it helps me get out of bed. It helps me function. It helps me control my emotions. It helps me, you know, regulate my life. And um, it's not a solution. It's a sort of temporary little helper accompanied with therapy and work on yourself, you know, that enables you to actually do this work because otherwise you're just, you're too you know, too um, absorbed in, into this, whatever it is, whatever condition you have. And sometimes you, you do just need a little bit of a medical help to help help you get out of the mess and be able to work on it and build your life up and, you know, carry it on with you. Um, and I think the stigma around it is absolutely horrible because, you know, end of the day, my uncle committed suicide over a year ago. Um, he was never diagnosed but at the end he had paranoia mania um he thought he was being followed he thought he's going to get killed he thought that you know someone's going to come and kill the whole family and he ended up committing suicide um and the doctor who saw him uh, the first of a doctor just gave him uh, sleeping pills and that was in latvia you know um 
nobody really speaks about it. Nobody likes to speak about it. I know that if if my mum hears this, she's going to be like, why, you know, why did you mention it? But it is part of reality. It's, you know, it's also made me confront my own mental health much more seriously because now I have someone in my family that, you know, clearly didn't manage it well. And it's not his fault. It's, you know, growing up in uh, Soviet Latvia and then he lived in Ireland for most of his life not really having anyone to talk to, not not being in an environment where it's okay to talk about depression or whatever it is. You know, it just got worse to the point where he couldn't take it. And if, you know, if me saying these few lines and spending, I don't know, 10 minutes a day talking about it can help someone actually reach out and get help and save their lives and improve their quality of life, like to me, that's a no brainer. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, and still we should also um, yeah recognize the, the the courage you have of speaking about it because uh, you know it is still a taboo, isn't it? I mean, um, you know, mentioning you know, antidepressants, uh, depression in itself, going to you know psychologists, suicide, you know, these are things which people sort of tend to hush up and whisper about um, because they don't want you know sort of communities, groups to be to be aware of them. So there is a you know, a very clear uh, sort of um, courageousness about the way that you just you know you open the front door and you you, you say this is the way it is um, exactly. and uh, uh, it's nice yeah. to hear. I saw a video recently that said uh, why are you so stressed about it it's not like you're going to make it out alive anyway um, <laughs> and it's sort of uh, you know it's sort of I, I never knew that this is exactly sort of how I approach so many things. To me, it's like, well, if you want to, you know, hate on me for being open about this, well, go ahead. It doesn't really bother me. You know, it's if it if it helps people, it helps people. You know, uh, it doesn't really sort of have has doesn't have an effect on me. And I don't see myself as, you know, some sort of incredible holy figure uh, doing this as I said this this is just my nature I've always been very open about things that are happening to me and things that I experience so yeah yeah and sorry to hear about your uncle's passing um yeah, yeah. I mean th- there this is also what you say it's uh, there is a similar thing with the, uh, the Armenians have a saying about when you know people don't want to spend money they say you know why you're not going to take it with you when you die are you exactly. um yeah and we can sort of you know superimpose that principle over you know life in general as you say quite clearly live it because uh you know time does run out at some point absolutely um, and, you know, I, 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 I have been confronting myself with uh, the uh, horrible realization of we're all going to die one day. Um, and it's, it's not an easy topic, obviously, you know, um, and not people in my life who are older don't even want to acknowledge it. Or, you know, they sort of pretend that they're not going to die one day, which I think is a bit silly because that's the only certainty that we have in life. Um, mm. and, and, you know. It, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. There's a reason why the philosophers have been arguing about it for so long. <laughs> yeah, and and they will continue to do so, um, and then perhaps pass away in the process. But yeah, that's a different matter. Um, yeah, you also mentioned um, in your uh, talk before about your. Your, your interest in speaking out about sort of gender equality, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is also um, you know, a big topic for me as well, because I've, you know, I, I feel men have to support the other genders uh, to you know, allow them to reach this level of equality, because only then can society be truly li- liberated. Um, and, and I also extend that thought to other uh, forms of discrimination, which we've also seen this this week um, yes. emphasized in the media because of, the, you know, Rashford, Sancho uh, and Zaka. Um, yeah, I mean, do you how do you see because you've got this your insight into three different uh, cultures or maybe even four if we include Russia? Um, yeah, how do you see the, the sort of differences um, in how women are treated? Uh, across these cultures um it's a tough one um funnily enough um i'd say latvia is sort of one of the best and the worst at the same time (laughs) it's it's a very weird one but if you look for example you know we like to compare statistics and the easiest way to do it is you look at how many women are in powerful positions how many women you know work full-time and and you know all, all, all of these um 
different kind of categories that you can uh, look at. And I have to say the Soviet Union has always been sort of a, an example for um, for the West, I would say, because um, in, in the Soviet times, there wasn't really, uh, you know, you do this and I do that. It was sort of everybody works, everybody sort of takes part in the society in, in to a certain extent but then on the other hand there's the typical sort of well the woman still is the one to cook to clean to raise the children to you know it, it's it's sort of both um and I still you know we had a Latvian president Dvaravija Freiburga who's a massive um I'm a massive sort of she's a massive idol for me she grew up in Morocco and Canada and, you know, all of these other places and then came back um, at sort of a later stage in her life and became the first ever president, a female president in Latvia. Um, we have loads of women in politics. We have loads of women, you know, who have companies, who who are CEOs, who, you know, have sort of important positions. But then at the same time, um, there is still a lot of sort of patriarchal um you know structures around that you you can't seem to escape and I think if you look at Germany it's sort of getting there as well but if you look at the top level because sort of the game is a bit different you know the top level of Latvia is you know you might be a billionaire with a few billion but in Germany if you're a billionaire it's it's sort of a bigger deal um and I know that um, I've heard stories of many women who you know work at a big bank or something and then they're brought onto the board um just to fill the quota um and then the men literally in the boardroom meeting go you know you're only here because we need you for the statistics um we don't actually care so there's an issue there as well and i think it's very similar in britain um but england oh jesus it's a it's a tough one especially recently um uh, the football game, obviously, that happened on Sunday. I was out watching and rooting for England. Um, I thought, you know, I, I don't really care for football that much. But, you know, I was sort of saying, if I'm here, then I'm going to fully embrace it. And, you know, screamed England um, as passionately as everybody else. But I have to say, as a woman, I was petrified of what is going to happen. Either way, lose or win. Because I, you know, to me, what hap- what we saw on Sunday is... That that wasn't men, that wasn't fans, that wasn't uh, normal behaviour, that was just animalistic, just absolutely disgusting behaviour. And it was just enabled by, you know, men themselves. Um, there's all these stories about how in, in the UK women still have to give birth basically alone or be throughout the process of giving birth, be alone in the hospital because having their partner there is sort of too too much because of COVID restrictions. But then, you know, you fill a whole stadium with football fans and, you know, you allow all the pubs to have all these people, you know, all of these sort of things where you, as a woman, especially you go, how is it that football is more important than giving birth? in this society so it i i do i do sort of i'm I'm very confronted with all of these sort of issues um of not being taken seriously sorry recently i had um an incident with my flatmate who harassed my other female flatmate as she was alone um you know uh, in her room and uh you know the response of the landlord is uh you know oh he's a good guy i'm going to speak to him but he's a good guy um and we are all three women living here and it's sort of you know take us seriously we've been saying this forever same with sarah everand you know a couple of months ago in london a woman who was kidnapped and murdered by a police officer right so there are all these issues arising and these are just you know a few examples among many and as you said, we need men to also participate in this because we've been we've been saying it for hundreds of years that we've been mistreated, that there's so many issues, but somehow it doesn't seem that it, it, anyone hears it. Um, and as soon as a man sort of says it, it's heard. Um, so although I do not like the approach of a man saving, you know, the woman, women in this sort of um situation um it is necessary uh we do need men to speak up um i have a few friends who actually sat down their best friends um and you know had a conversation about everything that is going on and said you know your behavior is not okay and i'm going to be calling you out on it and that is the only way we can combat this whole situation and and it's not only applied to women or men or you know 
it's applied to everything you know call your friends out don't let it slip rape jokes turn into rape you know um racist jokes turn into racial assault all the time so words do matter um and you know if if you want to do your part and you don't quite know what to do i would just say you know keep your eyes and ears open and don't be afraid to confront people in your life <laughs> yeah absolutely um and, and what would also be nice would be that you know other random strangers also stand up um you know often you know there was a video from uh, somebody's phone uh, some months ago in in germany where uh, a, a young muslim kid was uh, harassed on uh, on a tram i think and, and nobody got up to assist uh, one person obviously recorded the incident but nobody really got up to help and um you know i i would stress you know it's it, it's a you know you never know what kind of crazy person is actually there if they're armed with a knife or something else but um you know at least raise your voice shout from a distance you know absolutely absolutely i agree with that um and it's so scary how many racial assaults are happening in germany as well still to this day which is to me just mind-boggling especially against muslim people as well because you know i feel like germany is they really can't afford to do this you know <laughs> yeah yeah, I, I mean, it's but but also, you know, Jewish people I, I, in Germany still feel uh, a certain degree of fear, um, and 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 it does make you kind of you know think why is it that there are so many different you know sort of parts of society where they feel okay if we've okay if if Muslims are being um, you know abused and discriminated against then uh, you know, then we'll go out and uh, harass a few Jews and that will balance it out and yeah. no nothing balances that out yeah. anything what is this craziness absolutely uh, absolutely i yeah i can't stress this enough please people stop hating <laughs> stop hating i know you're afraid and i know that's why you are being so toxic in certain situations please educate yourself if you if you're afraid of something read about it see see what it actually is don't just listen to fake news don't take anyone's word for it please please just uh <laughs> let's make this world better i can't you know it's it's very disheartening sometimes when you look at the news um it's just you sort of go where where is this going if we're not going to change anything where is this going yeah sentiments that are you know i can only share um and completely agree with um moving on to a more uh should we say positive note um even i mean i think talking about you know gender equality and also anti-discrimination must be always considered overall in a positive light because the journey is obviously towards that 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 promised land um but you have you know artistic elements as well which i'd love to to touch upon because it's not uh, it's not limited to to writing is it so you've done okay you've done modeling um but you know generally speaking you are a bit of uh, you like the arts i love the arts yes i'm a massive fan of music i um you know sometimes i just sit here blast music and listen to every single little sound and layer that you know someone has produced and i'm just absolutely on awe and i you know I, I i i sort of i think because i'm quite a creative person myself and i don't always know how to express it i really appreciate when people are able to um sort of translate whatever they're feeling and seeing into art um so i i love the arts yes <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and and have you you know considered you know, the, the performing arts? Um, you know, I mean, is is this uh, is that also perhaps an avenue that you've you've looked at, or is that not what you you'd like to do? Well, I I've been a dancer my whole life since I was about two or three years old. I was I started uh, dancing Latvian traditional dances until one day I decided not to go in, and that's it. I said to my mum, "Nope, I'm not doing it anymore." Um, and uh, yeah, I've been dancing. Then as a kid, I danced hip hop. And when I moved to Germany, I met amazing teachers. I went to an amazing dance school um, and it sort of all took took off from there. Um, and I actually that was very important to me as well, because dancing has always been a big part of my life. Um, and then as it happened, um, I ended up dancing for multiple dance crews who had um, gay coaches. 
Um, and as, as someone from Latvia, where, you know, before I had seen a, a person of colour just once before in my life, really in Latvia, to, you know, going to Germany that is super diverse, but also sort of being introduced from this super young age to different sexualities and expressions and, uh, you know, just different people from different walks of life. Um, it really shaped my understanding and sort of uh, the way I look at people. I think um, so. Yeah, I've, I danced my whole life. Uh, sadly, not that much in London. Um, dance studio prices are quite high, um, but yeah, it's still sort of a big part of my life. I do dance um, around a lot in my underwear sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. I, I would never do that, even when I'm completely alone. But uh, yeah, okay, good, good to know. Um, uh, this thing you know you're either the naked neighbor or you have a naked neighbor um and i am the naked neighbor i have to say. i am the naked neighbor <laughs> yeah all, all of your neighbors suddenly you know bringing up you know, opening up their curtains and hoping for a for a view um I, I i have a podcast as well with um a lady called tanya and she is also crazy about dancing she's into um bachata uh, are you familiar with this kind of dance Yes, um, I uh, I am familiar. I've never actually fully embraced it, sadly. Um, but I remember I went to Colombia um, just after I graduated school, um, and you know went to a few clubs, and it was definitely very very fun. It was definitely very fun. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, dancing is definitely something you need to have a passion for. It both, it also feel good doing it, right? Um, yeah. So if you're not, if you're somebody like me who doesn't feel good doing it, then have a beer. Um, yeah. And but if you <laughs> if you do feel it, you feel that rhythm, you feel the you know, the mood take you, then uh, I can only imagine dancing must be heavenly. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I've been pretty disconnected from it compared to when I was, you know, 15, 16, where I would spend, you know, 10, 15 hours a week dancing, um, you know, preparing for competitions and you know, it would always be in these dance groups, which we would provide me with a great community. And, you know, you know uh, we would call each other family because, you know, that's sort of how how much time we spent together and how how we really got along. It was great. You know, I never really fit into school. And, you know, there's so so many other things. Um, and that really provided me a safe space and, and a great friends for for many years. Um, sadly, now we've sort of all parted our ways, but that's just a natural sort of progression of things. So no hard yeah. feelings there. <laughs> yeah, but it always opens the door to finding new groups, isn't it? So um, it's it's never a closed door. And you're still very young, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, yeah. there's a lot of dancing left in your legs, I think. <laughs> I truly hope so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I mean, and and also you're a bit more of um, you know sort of crossover with topics as well with Tanya because she also she has a, she's sort of created a, a group for women. Um, and other genders are welcome, she says um, quite openly, uh, to talk about sensuality uh, and sexuality too. So that's something that you obviously brought up in, you know, in your dance group. Um, you know, it's important, isn't it, to experience uh, you know, these other you know, people, the way that they live their lives from a younger age, because then you know, when you grow up, it's not strange. It is much easier to, to embrace uh, when you're used to it, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and I think there was, you know, bringing it back to politics a little bit, but making to make this point, um, I remember when I was in school, there was sort of, you know, elections going on and the uh, party AfD, which is obviously very sort of phobic in every single sense of the word, um, sort of the, the, the statistics said people who voted most for these sort of right wing, nearly extremist um, uh, parties, those were the people who lived in areas that had the least amount of, of immigrants in Germany, um, which sort of makes my point of, you know, if you're not surrounded by it, if you don't know about it, you're scared of it, you know. And and I think that is the same for many, many people, with, which is which is ridiculous to me. Like, a person is a person. To me, it never mattered who you sleep with, what color your skin is, where you come from. It, it does not matter to me. If you're a good person, you're a good person. If you're a shitty person you're a shitty person. <laughs> yeah. um, that's as simple as it is, at least in my eyes. 
Yeah, it's wonderful. I mean, you know, and also when we look back at history, if we talk about, you know, some of the most successful concepts or, or, or discoveries or whatever, simplicity is the key, isn't it? And even mathematics tells us we should simplify to bring order to chaos. So, um, yeah, it may be simplistic, but it's, you know, very, very true as well. Mm, absolutely. No. Okay. All right. Um, you know, one hour is normally where um, people who have huge attention spans start to look towards the kettle again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, Anna, a brilliant conversation. And you know, I can't stress enough. We 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 sort of talked for two minutes before I, I, I clicked the, the record button. We've hardly, we, we hardly know each other still. Yeah. Um, and you know, I really hope that we have you know, many more of these talks because there are so many topics that you have uh, th these wonderful, open and diverse views upon that I, I would love to tap into uh, from time to time, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. I would love to do this again. It's been an absolute pleasure, honestly. And I'm, this has been my first podcast ever, uh, my first ever interview. I'm incredibly scared to hear my voice uh, <laughs> from a speaker. Um, I don't think I will listen to this ever again. I will just send it to my friends and be like, tell me what you think. Um, <laughs> that's, that's about it. Um, but yes, thank you so much for having me on. It's been an amazing opportunity for me as well. So, yeah. Big thanks yeah. to big thanks to Dr. Tajwidi. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and we'll, we'll send him a message as well. I mean, I, I hopefully I'll be able to have a talk with him uh, too uh, when he's back in the UK. So that would be nice as well. Yes. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, Anna, thank you very much. Um, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, the journey of getting to know you is only a few steps old, um, and, and yeah, I, I hope it's got a long way to go. Um, and yeah, uh, speak to you again very, very soon. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much for having me on here. Two and a mic.